Warm the Hockey Podcast is back with you. Uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning back in with us. We are back on Zoom again. Uh, we will be, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I know, we will be on Zoom for the foreseeable future, won't we? Yes, sir. With uh, current um, logistics and travel situations and all that stuff. So a lot more content that we can now post to YouTube, put our faces on YouTube, videos on YouTube, which which will allow us another avenue to to push out uh, our podcast. But not, no in-studio work, at least for the two of us. If we have our favorite goaltender in one day or something like that, he might be able to sit in with me in studio. But um, in terms of you and me, no studio work for at least a little while. So Not for, not for now. I'll never know, though. You never know. Yeah, the beauty of Zoom. The beauty of Zoom. Um, so we are we are on. I believe this is episode one hundred three. Is it one hundred? Sounds right. One hundred three. One hundred four. Um, it's one of those two. Everything kind of blends together a little bit with with everything. But the third or fourth episode in the one hundreds um, for everybody here. So we're in the hockey podcast. What's that? Before we get lost in content. Um, I've been meaning ever since Christmas, I've been meaning to give a shout out to maybe the best Christmas gift of the season, which is the testacuzzi. Did you see, have you seen it? Did you see the pictures of it? He sent me a photo of it and I, it's one of those things where it's clever and clearly they make, it's a good idea because they're making money off of it but it's also those ideas that makes you wonder how they're making money off of it. Given that why doesn't anybody just sit in an actual jacuzzi and it it accomplishes that right there? Why does it, why does it need, and how, how does it, one thing I don't know about it is how does it balance? So do you have to sit in a, in a power squat position for however long you want to use it? Or can you actually sit down without it tipping and dumping water out like how what's the balance of it that's that's my so many questions so many questions i encourage everybody to go online uh if if you didn't get a testacuzzi for christmas uh there are father's days and birthdays valentine's day coming up put it on your list uh check it out it is um it is a it is a little bit of genius and i would i would go so far as to say that <laughs> In, in a day and age where uh, everybody wants to talk of eco-friendly and saving the planet and green and all that crap, uh, here's, here's a product that does not require, uh, to answer your question, why don't you just go sit in a jacuzzi or in the bathtub? Because it takes a lot of hot water to do that. And the test jacuzzi operates on maybe, I don't know, maybe half a cup of water. All right. It's I'll a, give I'll give you that. And I'll brilliant. Give you, I'll give you this, which makes my only argument would be the balance. Yep. I would want to sit there on the couch without water dumping out all over the fabric, or, or, to the one all over the fabric. And yes, it's just water. But two, because then it's a use. How do you use it? Because the water's all dumped out. So as long as it can balance in a way that you can sit comfortably and not do a power stance for twenty minutes then I'm on board, but I have yet, to see I've yet to see it in use. And I sure as hell, am not going to watch somebody use it. So no, I don't want to see it. And please don't send us videos. If you're using your testacuzzi at home, um, 
we'll figure it out for ourselves. But we also, you know, everybody's got to have their own because I don't believe that's something that you want to share. I know there's a lot of things that get shared in the dressing room. I don't know that testacuzzi would be one of them. Anyway. Uh, Before we jump into content, though, before, um, as we transition here to the episode, before we jump in, um, make sure everybody has headed, headed to the necessary social media platforms audio platforms and video platform and uh, like and follow us there warm the hockey podcast at warm the hockey podcast on facebook and instagram respectfully uh, warm the hockey podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music and iHeartRadio, as well as youtube so make sure you head there subscribe follow along uh, engage with us we'd love to hear from you and enjoy this is episode 103 or 104 sure of Worm the Hockey Podcast. This week, we are going to cover some standards, uh, some league standards, some standards of officiating, some different standards like that, um, both good and bad, uh, cover some some standards where, cover some things where the league and officials are missing, are missing the mark, as well as where they have hit the mark or exceeded it, um, just for the sake of remaining objective. So standards this week. Um, but before we get into the, the nitty gritty and the meat of that, uh, there are a few headlines throughout the hockey world to, to cover. Um, I do want to give um, attention because we haven't through COVID and through shortened seasons and whatever else, we haven't really put a lot of attention on uh, NCAA hockey and junior hockey uh, respectfully um, due to um, different testing policies with world junior or with shortened seasons or different things like that. We just haven't given them enough tension. So as we head into the national uh, tournament season here for the NCAA, um, give a, give a quick note to, to where they, to where they stand. Um, Again, uh, remember for the national tournament, six automatic bids. So you get uh, conference tournaments before you get the national tournament. The winners of those conference tournaments get an automatic bid to the tournament. After that, it's all selection process. Um, So there's six or seven uh, conferences, including the independent, uh, which has more teams this year than usual, just because of of travel and all that stuff. Uh, Alaska is considered an independent school this year. Uh, Robert Morris, quick note for them, their program got shut down. Uh, Robert Morris said they wanted to focus more on academics rather than than sports. Uh, there was a movement to bring the team back. They are coming back for the 23 season. So that oh, they are. Robert Morris will be back for the 23 season. Okay. Which is good news for the Atlantic Conference, Atlantic Hockey Conference, uh, and for that that school and those young men and young women, because uh, Robert Morris also has a women's team. Of course. So uh, Denver tops the NCHC. Denver and North Dakota atop the NCHC. Shocker. UMass Lowell, so not Massachusetts where Kale McCarr came from, but UMass Lowell tops the Hockey East. Quinnipiac atop the ECAC. Minnesota State. Minnesota State has been the school to beat for the past three or four years. They they are running away with the number one ranking in all of NCAA hockey, but they – they top CCHA, which is the new division there, the new conference there. Ohio State tops it over Michigan, believe it or not, in Big Ten. And American International in the Atlantic. So, I, was just, I have two questions for you. Yeah. Um, one statistical, one opinion. Uh, 
statistically, how I wonder how many teams have ever won a national championship from outside of the automatic bids and from what position? Like how often do you get a a 10 seed or an eight or 12 or something like that, that, that actually comes up winning the tournament. <clears throat> and subjectively, how is it that Michigan has even ever lost a game with the talent that they have on that team? What are they doing wrong? They're not, they're not contenders. And every year they've got a whole carload of, of first round draft picks on that team. And and they never they never challenge. What is um, going this year? On? This year should be interesting. This year they should they should um, they're gonna they're gonna slip a little over the next few weeks with uh, Kent Johnson, uh, Owen Power, and these kids um, over in the Olympics. Yeah, no but, doubt. But with everybody healthy and with hopefully uh, the hockey world, not just the NHL, changing their BS testing policies here after the Olympics. It should allow kids to. It should allow players to to be available on a more regular basis. So hopefully, in that regard, Michigan should be one of your one of your top favorites along with Minnesota State, and then your your regulars like Minnesota Duluth and Denver and all that stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But we'll see how it how it shakes out. Um, they're they've been there for years. I mean, you remember the years of T.J. Hensick and oh yeah, moving on to. JT Comfer and, and guys like that. And then uh, now with Kent Johnson and Owen Power and all them. Um, but to your point, they've just never been able to really pull it out since then. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. This may be their, their year to push, especially because they're likely, because I haven't heard any, any news around it, they are likely to lose Owen Power. They're likely to lose Kent Johnson. Oh. And a number, of, a number of their players after this season. So this may be their year to kind of push for it before the recruitment process starts again and kind of rebuild them back. So we'll see how it shakes out. Um, but we're getting down to the home stretch for, for NCAA. Um, BCHL has about 160 games left on their schedule before we see their playoffs. Uh, they're, they're Sorry, from, I, I meant to ask also, yeah. um, the um, the Savoy kid at Denver is really really lighting it up. Am I right? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. He's uh, he's. Uh, I'd have to look up the statistics here. Look up the stats for for Denver. Um, but they oh, are. I did, you were you were on to BCHL, which is great. I just that I happened to think of that because I heard I heard some talk of him uh, a few days ago and and the tear that he's been on. Yeah. Um, here, let me, while I'm thinking of it, let me pull it up here. But yes, I was talking about the BCHL. They're, they're, um, they have, I'm going to say 160, 65 games left um, in their season before their playoffs. Um, and poor, we talk about it every time, poor Merritt. They've played, they've played, they've played 36 games. Take a guess at what poor Merritt's record is just with, without cheating it. Just take a guess. Oh, I, I haven't looked since early in the season, but they were winless last time I checked. I'm going to say they played 36 games. Did you say 36 total games? Yeah. 36 total games. Have they won less than double figures? 
oh, I mean, you're right in that prediction, but you're they are so far below double figures. They've they're they're two and thirty two. Uh-huh. Oh, with some overtime losses and shootout losses mixed in there, but they're oh, two and thirty two. Now they are two wins two. Oh, that's so that's so sad. You know, I I feel bad for the kids. I feel bad for the coaching staff. They are, I believe, they are community owned. Yep. Um, which is great. The community got got behind them, bought the franchise to keep them in Merritt. And if you've ever been to Merritt, you know why it was important to keep them there. Uh, and I mean, I don't mean any disrespect. It's just one of those little towns that needs its BCHL presence. Wow. That's, that's, I, I don't like to see that for anybody. It's not good for the game when, when teams go that bad. And this is, this is a pretty steady, steady theme for them. Oh yeah. Yeah. And Langley, Ouch. Langley's playing well. They're first place in the coastal division for, in the BCHL. They're, uh, there's some, now that they're, there's, there's some surprises now. Langley first place, Salmon Arm first place, Couch and Valley last place. So interesting, interesting times. We didn't get the, to experience the BCHL showcase this year. No. And not, not a lot of, not a lot of in, real meaningful input we can put on certain players or anything like that this year, but. No, but if we get a chance, we're going to do that again, depending on, you know, if, the, if travel restrictions are, are a thing of the past. Uh, question for really you. Good time. Question for you with, regarding BCHL. Do you think now that they are BCHL alone, they aren't part of this, the, the entirety of Canada in, yep. in the CJHL. It's just BCHL. Do you see um, either them splitting into more than two divisions or potentially adding more teams? Uh, it would be at the price tag. It, it's it's hard. It's kind of a loaded question because we both yeah. kind of know the answer, especially with junior hockey. Um, but it's it's a curious question to ask, um, you know, because they are BCHL is far and away the the league, with exception of the Brooks Bandits. Right. They are they are the the teams in the league in junior A hockey. Being this being BCHL alone now, to where they won't even participate in a national tournament like like before with right. the other leagues. It's just BCHL. Do there, they split from two divisions? So I I don't see them adding teams. Um, Cranbrook was an automatic because the building was there, the fan base is there. And when when the ice moved to Winnipeg, that became an automatic. I don't see that happening again. I you you might see depending on travel you might see some some changes uh some location changes but the price tag is so high to get into junior hockey and the return is often uh it's a dash number so it's it's going to be tough to add but speculation question here and this is more speculation so we can transition and move on but speculation question then do you when when and whether it's tomorrow or it's 20 years from now covid stuff will stop it's just yes. the law of averages it will yeah. as a result the border will open up do do we see the bchl 
opening and and potentially down the road and again cost is a big factor but for simple speculation adding a few more american teams you know if the if the border is open there is plenty of um there are places around uh northwestern washington in addition to wenatchee which is kind of a, a locational anomaly uh, there are places around Bellingham and, and a lot of areas there in Northwest Washington that would be a, uh, that would be a good choice if the border is easily passable. Yes, I could see that. WHL transition here. Let's yes, do sir. Well, well, first Carter Savoy, I do want to touch on his stats here. Yeah. Um, he's played 24 games with Denver, 16 goals, 17 assists. Real deal. So he's one of, if not the leading scorer for, uh, he's, for Denver. So he's he's the real deal, at least at the NCAA level. We'll see, again, we'll see how it transitions and how it um, blends, and whether or not he's reached his peak at at the university level or he's ready to go at the NHL level. Because uh, we we saw the same statistics from kids like uh, Nick and Drew Shore, you know, uh, players like that that. Quentin Shore yep. hasn't seen the light of day anywhere. No, it's very, very surprising knowing what we knew we'll of that. How he, oh, yeah. how he, uh, how he transitions once he's, once he's done it with Denver, but yep. so far he's, he's lighting it up. Uh, WHL Winnipeg ice in first place. How about that? Yeah. Nice. Nice. Transition from a year or two ago where they're at the, scraping the barrel bottom of the barrel and and everything and now they are they're right up there with Edmonton at the top well look you the WHL uh, junior hockey is no different than any other than any other level it's how you draft and you know it's a draft and develop league and boy oh boy did they they drafted well and they developed well very yep so good for them. And, and that's, a, that's a great move. Putting them in Winnipeg was a great move. Uh, getting, out of, um, getting out of Cranbrook was, was important. The change had to happen. And, uh, and good for them. Gee, Christmas. That's, <clears throat> that's a great market for junior hockey, that's for sure. And I hope they do well there. Yep. Everett, Everett topped the standings for the Western Conference. And... Okay, since I last checked, Edmonton's pulled away a little bit, but Edmonton, Winnipeg, they're at the top in the East. Uh, Edmonton just along with along with Red Deer, so yeah, and and good for them. That's another franchise that went through a few doldrums, uh, but man, man, Edmonton seems to put it together every year. And here again, you're drafting in the in the bottom of the of the round of every round, and and they are just they just don't take a year off. Right? That's, that's uh, something to be proud of there for ownership, management, coaching staff. And a shout out to the Swift Current Broncos who are not in last place. How many years, how many years, the, how many of the past few years has Swift Current just been the merit centennials of the WHL? Just struggle, struggle, struggle city. And they yep. are, they are medicine hat has taken over that position, at least for this year. So only nine wins for medicine hat this year. Teach. That's, you know, it's such a good tradition, though. I mean, they've been there a long time. They, the Broncos used to be in Lethbridge, 
moved to Swift, been there forever, developed a ton of players, um, great franchise history. Just, uh, you know, I, boy, it's tough. You really, it takes a lot to dig your way out of having an empty talent pool. And, and I don't mean that to, I don't mean to insult any of the guys, but when your talent pool is not up to, up to where it needs to be and your pipeline isn't, then that is a really, really difficult turnaround because in junior hockey, as you know, you've only got a kid for a couple of years, you know, maximum you've got somebody for usually three years, but boy, tough. Uh, Another transition here. Um, Quick news and note, Pat Verbeek hired in Anaheim. That's a great hire. Um, That is a good hire. hire. Um, Several Canadian teams um, have, broached the subject of moving their home games if Canada can't figure out the restrictions and mandates. Yeah. Um, yeah. Per, a, per an article with Batman, he Batman has said that there have been no, no official real discussions around it, but the idea has been brought up. Uh, nothing's been worked out. No, no logistics of it has been determined, but the idea of it has been brought up by several of the Canadian teams. Yeah. Well, and rightfully so. uh, We talked about it last time, I believe three million, two and a half to $3 million per home night per home game is the, is the revenue from concessions, parking, ticket sales, et cetera. And when you have almost none of that, yes, you got ticket sales because as we know, season ticket holders, for instance, I, I just was playing golf last last week with a guy that I know really well from Toronto, season ticket holder forever. Um, they just, they cancel and postpone and they keep his money. So at least the ticket sales revenue is still there. The sweet sales revenue are there, but all of your ancillary revenues like parking and concessions and merchandise are not, as, uh, except for what people buy online. So there's, a, there's it, a home ice factor to it too. Oh sure, they Absolutely. cross the border. They cross the border and they walk into buildings. You know, no matter where the an Amer- one of the American teams is in the standings, they're they're walking into a building that is packed to the rafters with with people shoulder to shoulder screaming and loud and the energy. And then you walk into Montreal and there's nobody. You walk yeah. into you yeah. walk into Toronto and there's twenty five percent. You walk yeah. into Vancouver and it's fifty. You like there's just there's no energy to it. And no. I at the beginning of this when I remember at the start when when we first when we got the the bubble in Edmonton that first year of of the COVID stuff. Right. I remember thinking, well, you know, fans and energy is important, but really the on ice stuff is what really drives it. And a part of me still that, but there's a big, big factor into what you can do on the ice, having the energy behind you. Oh, but there's no question. Look how much. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying Montreal is. I'm not saying Montreal is a Stanley Cup contender if they're if fans are allowed in the building. But no. but there's a there's a, a passion and an energy to it that they then bring to their opponents because of it, and it's just not there. <laughs> you bring up a good point. But I would say that this year, um, the Montreal Canadiens have to thank God that there are no fans in the building this year. Imagine, uh, you know, I mean, the backlash is bad enough in the community when, when you've fallen on tough times like this. Uh, boy, <laughs> nothing worse than being 
you know, giving up a shorthanded goal and getting your power play booed off the ice. Uh, they're, they're probably most nights they're lucky. There's nobody there. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. Finally. Uh, and we won't carry on too much about it. We've done two episodes devoted to it, but thoughts here on the continued and new controversy in Chicago surrounding uh, Rocky Wirtz and his comments. And now the, and now in the aftermath, it's been reported three new allegations have, have come against Aldrich and the organization. There were, there were reasons to believe that a lot of people knew about what was going on. Exactly who knew, exactly when they knew and what they knew, we may never know. We may never, that may never come to light. But I would say that Rocky Wirtz has been an exemplary owner. And yes, the buck stops at the top, but to continually stepping on him, uh, obviously lessons been learned. They've generally cleaned house. They cleaned house for people that were even not even any longer there. So enough is enough. You know, at some point you got to look forward and let the legal process take over. And why, you know, I, I agree. Again, you don't, don't sweep Context, it under the rug. Contextually, contextually, I agree with with some of the things that Rocky said. Um, optically, the way he said it did not look good. Uh, look, how, I, I how defensive he got, how how dismissive he was, how all this stuff he you could have addressed it while also saying it's time to move forward. And so, optically, the way he did it did not shine a good light no and and look at look at the situation now not granted he was in a he was in an extremely difficult maybe unwinnable situation uh was it his fault again matter of opinion maybe um did he you know did he deserve to be there a matter of opinion i if you are the owner or you're the gm or you're you know, somebody, somebody higher up somewhere, even, even Gary Bettman's office, you don't want in a, in a sensitive situation like what they've had in Chicago, very publicly humiliated bunch of people and, and franchise in general, <clears throat> at least temporarily, but you don't want to see him come out and read a prepared statement. You don't want to see him either had issue a prepared statement through uh, through a PR representative. You want to see it, you see him take, take that on himself. But when you put somebody in front of a camera and a microphone who is not normally there, bad things can happen. And, and he may have had the very best of intentions. I've always had a lot of respect for Rocky words, but, Boy, you're right. It did not come out in his favor, even though he tried to face it head on, which I admire, uh, tried to do all the right things as an owner should. But if you're not used to thinking on your feet with a camera uh, stuck in front of you, it, you know, really, really bad things can happen. And most of the time you have to expect it. Well, good for him for trying for for being there at that town hall meeting, whatever it was, and good for him for, for doing that optically too what the frustrating part about watching it was how defensive he got given the situation 
This is the first time that anybody's had an opportunity to speak with anybody higher up in the Blackhawks organization about what's been going on. If you are not ready to address it, then maybe you shouldn't step out in public. Right. So to get defensive about a reporter asking, you know, or, or poking or doing anything like that, fine. If you've been at the forefront answering questions and dealing with it from the beginning, yeah. Now it's time to, now it's like, guys, look, I can only share so much because of the legal process. I've already answered this question, this or that's been solved, whatever else, time to move forward. But when, yeah. when this town hall meeting is the first time in all this that anybody high up in that organization has showed their face, you have to expect that people are going to want to ask the higher ups about the situation. Because, because again, it goes top down. So, yeah. Evan, you know, you know the justice system. You know that before a witness goes on trial, they go through a, a, a mock cross examination where both There's sides so, ask. Yeah. yeah, so much at stake. Why not put Rocky Works in front of a room full of people that were trying? To, to shoot flaming arrows at him. Why not put him through that? Why not take, and, and this extends to players as well, why not take young players, take them out, beat the snot right out of them at practice, have the veterans beat them up, exhaust them, bag skate them, ruin them, and then have them go immediately off the ice and face a camera and a room full of people that are trying to skewer them. Get them used to the idea. It looked as though Rocky Wirtz had no idea what was coming. He had no clue how to prepare. He, that's the problem. He, it wasn't likely that he was going to say or do the wrong thing. He doesn't have any malice uh, of intention. He was unprepared. Get the guy prepared. owner of a billion-dollar franchise. <laughs> Spend a couple of hours doing a mock press conference. It's ridiculous. No matter who's to blame for the lack of preparation there, at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to something as simple as if you're not prepared to deal with those questions, then don't put yourself in a position you're going to have to deal with it. Because no owner, no manager has come out and faced this Kyle Beach situation up to this point. That's the first time an owner or anybody high up in that organization showed their face in any type of forum that allowed people to ask questions. So yeah. rightfully, any inquisitive, curious mind is going to want to ask top-down, rots-from-the-head type of situation, is going to want to ask the owner about, yeah. about all this and how he's dealt with it and what he's doing and all this stuff. And he either, Rocky himself either failed to prepare in in lacking the common sense to know that that might come or something. But if you're not willing and ready to face it, then don't put yourself in a position to have to face it. Otherwise don't get defensive. Right. Don't go out there in the organization more than anybody Mm -hmm. else because you're the owner. So if you're not ready to face it, then don't go out and face it, but don't get defensive when you do. No, absolutely right. Yep. Uh, Enough of those. That's, uh, a lot of headlines, quick hits there. Uh, transitioning, transitioning. This week, uh, War in the Hockey Podcast, episode 103 or 104. Forgive me for not knowing. Uh, not being prepared? Not being prepared. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't be here facing it if I'm not prepared. Uh, 
Episode 103 or 104, this week we're going to touch here on standards. Um, and I thought of the, the topic for this episode, watching the Bruins-Avalanche game and watching the hit that put Nathan McKinnon out. First, before, first of all, I want to get your take on that play before we dive into anything regarding the penalty called the lack of this or whatever that your take on that play and how you viewed it. I, the one thing you know, me, I'm, I am a referee advocate. I'm an officials on ice official advocate. I think they have a horribly difficult, thankless job. I think they do spectacular things for the game and for the players just staying out of the uh, staying out of harm's way and not not interrupting the play or getting themselves killed is one thing but to do what they do in that environment i absolutely salute it for uh, the one thing that i see happening with them and it's because they err on the side of caution is i see them often getting sold by uh, a player who feels a stick up around his collar or something, throws his head back and sells a high sticking penalty. It's because they err on caution. When Nathan McKinnon, I, I don't think at real speed that you that the on ice officials would have been able to see that it was his own stick. 100%. I do think they were able to see that it was a high hit and it put him immediately down and Nathan McKinnon never goes down. <clears throat> so why why the error wasn't made on the side of caution surprised me. I'm not I'm not saying they should have seen the stick, but I guess when when it happened at real speed, I was just surprised that it didn't result in at least uh, you know if not a hit to the head, they would review that and see that it wasn't, but it was a high hit and it got his stick. When, when you are Taylor Hall, who does not have a reputation for playing dirty ever, uh, you got a reputation like Taylor Hall, it doesn't matter. When you target and throw a high hit, clean or not, you throw a high hit on a guy like Nathan McKinnon, you got to expect the next thing you're going to see is Curtis McDermott over and over again. Or Gabe Landis. So if you don't want to answer the bell for running a star, don't run a star. So if you're going to do that, even if it's a clean hit, you know that clean hits, you have to stand up for yourself depending on who you're targeting. It happens every night. You're not a fan then that Hall didn't answer the bell. No, no. He, if you're going to throw the hit, he kept skating away. Give him the fight. Yeah. The guy asks for a fight, you give it to him. Yeah. It happens I, all the time. I first of all, I don't like the cowardness of not answering the bell. Clean hit or not, you put down the other team's star player. If you're not willing to to answer the bell for that, then maybe don't do it. Right. Clean or not, it, I I go back and again Colorado example. I go back earlier this season, Colorado playing Nashville, and Ekholm ripping the helmet off of Rantanen and throwing it down the ice. And then he turns around and here comes Landeskog. Yeah. If you watch the replay, you look at Ekholm's face, he's shocked and surprised that Landeskog's yeah. getting in his face. And then after after Landy bloodies him, he's down on the ice looking up at the official sh- sh- shocked like what what was that? 
and I'm sitting, I'm sitting there watching. Like, then what were, what were you, what did you think was going to happen? Clean or not, you can't do those things and expect not to happen. It, no. It's, um, it's like the the Edmonton Montreal game when Cassian ran into the goaltender, the Montreal goaltender. Do you see that? And nobody did anything. Yeah, right. Yeah, clipped the goaltender I, I behind the net, and nobody nobody touched Cassian. Nobody did anything. It's the problem with all these rules and all these things that try and get rid of fighting and get rid of these things is that part of of standing up for your player, clean or not, is it brings passion. It brings energy. You're being a teammate. You're standing up for each other. You're doing these things. And, and the, the instigator rule and all these things has created a situation where nobody, nobody even attempts to touch Cassian. Right. Or now Taylor Hall no, thinks he doesn't have to answer the bell. I don't like that stuff. From, from a, since we're on standards, from a standard perspective, I don't like in that play, and it's unfortunate that it was McKinnon's own stick. I don't like in that play that they reduced the five-minute pe- penalty and or didn't toss him. The only, yeah. the, only thing that I, the only reason I don't like that is because, like Landeskog said himself in, in post-game, it's not that it was necessarily a dirty play, but it was the type of play per the standard that the league has set. It is the type of hit that they are trying to get rid of a blindside high hit that they're trying to get rid of. And that's exactly what it was. McKinnon's own stick or not that bloodied him. And they not only reduced the five to a two, he not only doesn't answer the bell, Colorado's now not on, is now skewered afterwards for, for going after him as if he should. And there's no discipline. So, I'd, now, from a from a common sense perspective, the only the only thing that I I will say should have happened was two minute penalty, and Taylor Hall answers answers the bell because yep. from a common sense perspective, McKinnon had his head up. It was his own stick. There was nothing Tom Wilson about it. No. But from a, the standard that the league is has set or is trying to set for the past three, four, 10 seasons, however long that is, that hit, whether Taylor Hall is a dirty player or not, that hit is 100% precisely the type of hit that they are trying to get rid of. Two quick, two quick observations. First of all, I agree with you on the ice. If you go out and whoever it is cannot get Taylor Hall to go to give him a fight, then the next shift, you McDermott takes Pasternak and wipes him out, and take whatever penalty you want, hand it to McDermott for running him. But if Taylor Hall won't answer for himself, then I'm going to squish your guy. Yep. That's that's it. You, it's your call. Go and go. And when I get done on my way to the dressing room to shower up and and phone New York to get my punishment. I'm going to skate by the bench and tell them that Pasternak is now in the trainer's room because Taylor Hall would not answer. That's one scenario. Then that's what should have happened. Secondly, I get it when guys are on the ice. I get how they don't see it at real speed. 
I get how the officials, no matter how many of the four of them happen to be looking, may not have gotten it at real, at real speed. And I even understand that on a little iPad with sweat running down and trying to get back into the game without delaying it too long, how you might not have it even correct on the replay. What I cannot ever find an excuse for is that the league office reviews this stuff frame by frame for hours with nobody watching them, no game at stake, no fans screaming. They watch it for hours and they get it wrong. How do you not go back to just exactly what you said? We want to get this type of hit out of the game. It doesn't matter whether you like getting the hit out of the game or if you think that hit belongs in the game, it's irrelevant. The Board of Governors voted and they want it out. If that's the case, then punish the hit. Even if it wasn't exactly dirty, get it right at the league level when you don't have the scrutiny of the world watching that film. Get that, get that right. And also, culturally, the game has changed, and I have a lot of respect for Taylor Hall. He's a hard-nosed guy. He played a great junior career. I'm fine with Taylor Hall. I'm fine with all of them. But you, there, there seems to be almost no penalty when you do something especially to a star player. You just cannot, I don't know whatever happened to the unwritten rule that if you run my guy, holy smokes, you better watch out. You'll never have a peaceful shift again as long as you live. I think standard-wise, there's more of a, there's too much of a reputation involvement. So you're seeing too much of guys like, like Kadri getting, getting a harsher something because he's Kadri. And Taylor Hall gets nothing. I now now I say that I say that knowing very well it, that that the Tom Wilson Panarin incident goes against that that narrative. But yeah. there does seem to be a heavy hand in the in reputation having a big say in things than the play itself. And it, it really shouldn't. I get it. If you're a repeat offender, I get why Brad Marchand every time he sneezed at somebody he got another three game suspension i get why some guys are constantly having problems and i'm not saying that cadry doesn't deserve most or all of his playoff suspensions and the problems he's created for himself but each individual episode should be taken just that way now if you've got you know i don't understand how pk suban has never served um, a suspension for slew footing i don't if you've got a guy who's a repeat offender, habitual guy, you've got to step on him. And that's the one thing with that graduated system of suspensions. That's what they, that's what they put it in place for. And they get that correctly. But every, every single incident has to be taken on its own. What about, what about on ice standards um, from a perspective of what officials see or should see? Um, there's been several occasions this season in multiple games and multiple teams where they've completely botched too many men calls. Um, one of which cost the avalanche a second point in a game against Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. I even on my phone have a saved screenshot of, of the official already having his arm up to call the penalty against Colorado. When, if you look at the photo, Nashville is the one with five guys on the ice and Colorado has three, right? So things like that, like how, and 
therefore, how does that penalty go against Colorado? Like things like that. And what I mean by on ice standard is there's eight eyeballs on ice eyeballs that are meant to catch these things. How do you miss certain things like that? I don't know. I can't because I've never been an official. You were at the minor hockey level. Um, the one thing as a coach, the one thing that I could never argue with ever, no matter how much I didn't like it, was during a whistle, if I had a chance to ask one of our guys, one of our officials, why this or why that, if he said, I didn't see it, I, it might have been, but I didn't see it. If he says I didn't see it, then why is he calling tell, at all? Then what? What are you going to do? It's when a guy is standing right there looking at it and doesn't call it that I, you know, the, that's more frustrating. But would how you, they? Would you say? Would you say in that position then the argument would be why call anything at all if you don't see it though? Well, because if you're not yeah, seeing it, then then what is it? Then why is your arm up? If you don't see it, don't call it. And if if you see a guy all of a sudden out of the corner of your eye, his glove flies off and he goes down, don't automatically call a high stick or a hit to the head. You don't know what happened. Whistle, huddle your guys. Did anybody see this? Help me out here. Did anyone see it? Do what umpires do. What did you see? Was it fair or foul? Ask for help. Did you see I've the seen, tag? Like, I've seen that several times this year too where – an official, something happens behind an official's back and he glances and sees the guy down and it's five or 10 seconds removed from the incident. And then his arm goes up, not because he saw anything, but because the guy's down. And it's those, it's those types of things. When I talk about standards that get me fired up a little bit, because it's, you're not, let's, let's give credit where credit's due. These guys there's a lot of work that goes into it. Not only do you have to be in tremendous shape in order to keep up with the speed of the game, but you also have to be able to avoid taking pucks to the crotch and, and right. getting, getting icings to the head and over. things getting run over while also keeping an eye on the play. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a, it's a difficult and as we're discussing here and as we see in a lot of situations, thankless. Um, so Wes McCauley and these guys, I applaud them. And despite my, my problems, Brad Watson, Hey, you know, you did the job yeah. from a standard perspective though. It's hard for me. And again, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here on a microphone. I'm not out. I'm not out doing it. So again, there's, let's keep it in perspective in that regard, but you've got how many cameras you have, how many eyeballs, how do you miss these things? How, how, how is the standard of the rule book and the standard of that the league is setting that difficult to consistently, consistently enforce? I see a lot of inconsistency. You, you, we've been to the showcase, you, every chance you get, watch at least a period or so of a game that you couldn't care less about. I keep, I always say the same thing. I've been in rinks where I have no skin in the game. I don't have a kid playing. I don't have a favorite this or, or team that. I don't understand what everybody's screaming about. 
what's there's nothing going wrong out here it's fine this game's being called straightforward and people are throwing stuff and screaming and swearing what a, shut up it's just your home team i go go watch a game or watch a game on television and tell me how many times you would pick out a call or a non-call and say oh my gosh that's awful it's it's a fraction of the number of times of when you're watching somebody you care about play yep. and i think that's why calls get influenced by a home crowd more often than they do of you know if if, if that hit again on mckinnon happened in boston you're going to get a you're going to get the place is going to erupt right if the if the taylor hall on mckinnon hit happens in colorado there's going to be booing and screaming and carrying on for the rest of the night yeah Big difference in the way the same play being looked at two different ways, and the only fair way to do it is straight down the middle, which is what the officials are supposed to do, and they do every time. They get it. They get it right more often than you can imagine, with or without. I, in a case like this, you're making a you're making a point that the officials got it just as right as the league office. And the league office watched it for hours, over and over and over. The officials watched it for a few seconds, and they called it the same way. Yeah. So these guys are getting it done without the, without the benefits of all the technology. They're just doing it with their own moxie. Yeah. And so it's difficult, and it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. As for standards, I don't know if I just circled the question or if I, if I fed anything to it or not. Well, I want to be careful. I I don't want to vilify, but I also don't want to just blindly applaud officials. They're, you know, part of proper conversation is both sides of things. It, it from an emotional perspective or an objective perspective, my biggest struggle is the inconsistencies with with enforcing the standard, whether it's the officials or the league. It's the inconsistencies. How Jordan Greenway can blatantly run into Darcy Kemper. And, and, and it's nothing. It's not even a penalty. So yeah, the only, the only penalties, the only penalties that were there was Greenway getting a two minute interference penalty. Right. And which again, per the standard of things, you're going to now punish McDermott for standing up for his player. Are we not trying to get that hit out of the game? Yeah. So how Greenway does that. And it's very clear he'd, accidentally on purpose ran into Kemper and there's no no punishment there's no issues just a two-minute thing that is negated now because you also say McDermott how dare you stand up for your guy yeah exactly it's It's, so let me and I agree with that one that stems from speaking of top down maybe that stems from the league and it's just the officials being kind of in a between a rock and a hard place maybe I, yeah. But it's just to me, it's just the inconsistencies of it of how an official can st- stand there watching it. If you watch the replay, the official it is watching it the entire time, and it's nothing more than a two minute penalty. Even though per the standard, per the standard, Kemper left the game with an injury. Right. And per it's that, per the standard of that the league is protocol things when injuries occur, supplementary discipline needs to take place and yet nothing so let me ask let me ask a, an open-ended question then and I'm, I'm curious as to what your initial reaction is to this how many where would you draw the line at what gets reviewed you, you mentioned 
you, you mentioned uh, Too Many Men. You've mentioned the, the elbow to Kemper's head. You've mentioned a, a handful of different scenarios, and you could pick them out every night. We're now spending more time, well, not as much, but spending time reviewing offside, review goals. Where, how much stuff do you want to see reviewed, and how much do you not? And that may be a long-term question. It's a long, uh, it's not a long-term question with not an easy answer. Because um, I'm not a big fan of, of the amount of stuff that's reviewed even now. No. It's, it's, over, it's overdone, and it's basically, it's, what's the phrase? It's, it's over-policing. I, I don't know the phrase, yeah. but it's, yeah. it's trying to make it 100% perfect rather than just letting the game be. I do think, though, that some things need to be reviewed. Um, and, but it's a long-term, it's not an easy answer because, because ultimately you want whatever the solution is going to be to be what brings the most consistency. Yeah. So if this hit over here is deemed interference, cross-checking, high-sticking, boarding, hit to the head, whatever, then this over here needs to be the same thing. Exactly. I don't care who the officials are. I don't care who the player is. I don't care what their reputation is. I don't care what the importance of the game is. I don't care anything like that. It needs to be consistent. And it to the point where if you don't see it or you're unsure, you don't call it. Colorado, for example, eight points in first place in the Central Division. They're sitting pretty good right now. But who knows with 40 games left if that, bot, if that thrown away point against Nashville through – by a bad, by, I'm sorry, but let's be real, a horrendous call by the officials yep. costs them anything seating wise as a result down the stretch. So, it, and that's, that's, I just don't like it af affecting things that way. No, but it does. And here's, so I, I completely 100% agree with you that consistency is all anybody wants. Either, either it's a penalty or it's not, but it's always the same. It's either a strike or a ball, but it's always the same. Tell me how you're calling this game, and you get a feel pretty early. Are they letting him play, or are they really trying to clamp things down with a whistle? So, and either way is fine. We just need to know what – I need to know what to tell my guys. We need to know what we're seeing. So consistency is number one. I, I, get, I get upset about things, too, when I see a guy get hurt or a, a game get blown on a bad call or whatever. <clears throat> I still, I still say every time, whether it's my team or yours or somebody I don't care about, if you stick around a while, they all even out. It'll all come back to you. May you may you may have lost uh, one point in Nashville that you should have had. You may pick one up someplace else on you know something batted in with a high stick that they didn't call. I don't know, but if you watch through the year. The calls are going to even out. The penalties are going to even out. Everything is going to eventually, like the guys get it right so often, it's going to it's going to square up. It just does. That's all. And <laughs> I guess I, I guess I keep trying to tell myself that so I don't go nuts, right? I guess. Otherwise, what are you going to do? Do you think? Do you think while we're on it here? Do you think officials are? too worried about what everybody thinks of them. And I, no. I, 
I ask that because I see a lot of, of double penalties. I see a lot of, of I'm going to call this guy for hooking, but the guy he's supposedly hooking, I'm calling for holding. Well, in that, those in types that particular of call, example, it's those types again. of calls that that baffle me because it, in in missions, it's one or the other. The guy's either hold, either holding the stick or he or the other guy's hooking him. How you how you get both in that situation is is confusing to me. In the in that particular example, I. I believe that when a, the players, as we talk about all the time, whether it's in the face-off circle or whether it's on, you know, in some play in, in regular time, when a, they figure out ways to cheat the system, they figure out ways to gain an advantage. When a guy in the last few years, since uh, things have become more and more tightly called, when a guy feels the stick come up around his rib cage and get parallel to the ice, invariably his elbow goes down he's gonna they call it chicken winging but he's gonna squeeze that stick to his body in the hopes that, and and maybe he's going to tumble over in the hopes that he draws a penalty in my case yes the stick doesn't belong there and that is a penalty they decided that years ago but in this particular example i would call them both to try to get guys to stop grabbing the stick when they feel it come up because they know they're going to get a call but that's just me. I, the, the officials, to answer your question originally, they don't care what anybody thinks except each other. Like they want to call the, the game the right way. But they also, one thing they do care about is they do not want to be seen as controlling the outcome of the game. They want to stay out of the way of that argument altogether. <clears throat> it's why when you're, you're up, six to one in the third period, you're likely to get a couple of penalties. You know, nobody wants to see an official call it the other way. So they know they don't care what anybody thinks outside of their own room, but they, they do care that the players decide the game and not the officials. And they really want to stay clear of that. I can tell you that a hundred percent down the line. And as you know, I know quite a few of them uh, pretty well. We've talked with Jay Shares and, and uh, Brad Lazarowicz. They just want the players to decide the game. And I applaud that. I think that's what we all want. Oh, I, I agree. I applaud it too. And that, that comes in again to the consistency because unfortunately, whether they've intended or not, you've seen a lot of plays, playoffs or regular season, where they have dictated the outcome of the game. The Nashville-Colorado example being one. Uh, the hand pass between San Jose-St. Louis a few years ago being another. Yeah. Um, things like that where they've – they're making what seems like either outrageously horrible wrong calls or ticky tack stuff at very important integral times and yeah. having it having an effect on the outcome of a playoff series or, or in the standings and things like that. And whether they intend to or not, it's how it, it's how it happens. And so I guess that, I guess that's where I come from with the consistency is all right, if you don't want that, then then unless it's an egregious thing, maybe swallow the whistle. Exactly. You're, exactly. Uh, because I've, I, per consistency and per just examples, I, and I like throwing out examples so, so it proves kind of what we're talking about and it's not just spit an opinion. Um, <laughs> we've seen a lot, I've seen a lot of plays uh, where 
scrums are happening and you see a third guy in and nothing happens. Yeah. You see a scrum between two players and a guy comes in and, and gives him a headlock. Third guy comes in. Now it's two on one, gives him a headlock and yet nothing. So things like that, that lack the standard and consistency a little bit. As a, as a coach, as a player, the, the thing that I appreciated the most, um, not, not just the consistency, uh, yes, but being in the right position and communication. I would, I would much rather a guy came by the bench getting ready for a face-off, official go by and go, hey, you better get your boys under control. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to put half your team in the box, but you got to do something. You put a leash on your dogs here or you can't do this or don't do that. Or don't, don't keep coming to the goaltender after the whistle, whatever the case may be. Let us know that instead of just starting to haul guys off one after another communication. And they do it with the players. They do it with the coaches. And, th- and those are the really, really good ones. The guy, the, the, officials that have the least amount of problems with at least the players and coaching staffs and management yelling at them and, and causing, you know, doing things in pressers to cause problems. They're the guys that communicate the best. And, you know, maybe prime example you used a bit ago, Wes is, is far and away the most highly respected guy out there. He communicates so well. He feels the game. He feels the tempo and the and the atmosphere of the game. And he communicates with everybody so well. And he's perfectly willing to come by and go, you know, I missed that one. I know you're leaking here, but I didn't see it. Sorry, you know, hey, my my bad, whatever. Communicate and and nobody can argue with you much. The players and the coaches and the and the officials all just human, all just love the game. Hate to see it happen, but hey, stick around and leave it out. Oh, is that is that is that a cop out? Because I say that all the time. It is. <laughs> it's I, just... you, know, you, and I, you and I are you and I are um, advocates and supporters of officials, um, but the it evens out. I think is a cop out to avoid saying anything that might go against that. <laughs> Um, guilty but guilty. I'm, I'm curious per evening out i'm gonna look it up and and i don't want all the examples to simply be about my team but i'm per the example used i'm curious to look at um the schedule and see if and see when yeah okay so february 21st colorado's in boston Per evening out, do we see a Landeskog or a McDermott do the very thing that you were talking about a little bit, and and either go right at Taylor Hall again, or yeah. or at least start with going at Taylor Hall and then go, okay, well, fine. If you don't want to, we're going at we're going at Bergeron, we're going at Pasternak. Yeah. Well, I I would certainly. I know this isn't this isn't 1978 anymore, but I would certainly not let a high hit on my franchise guy go. I, I wouldn't just say, okay, well, I tried to get him to fight, but he won't answer. So whatever. A lot will depend on whether or not that's a tie game, at what point in the game the, the score gets settled. But I would certainly imagine that 
McDermott or somebody is going to say, hey, Taylor, last chance, bud. Answer the fight. Give me the fight, and we'll, and we'll forget the whole thing. And if you don't, I'm going to make a stain out of one of your guys. But you know, <laughs> you get frustrated with me, and, and this is why. Because I, I'm, still, I'm still 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Nope. No, I agree. Um, it's this conversation that I wish we could talk to uh, your official friend. Yeah, me too. I won't use his name, but uh, where we could have him on and, and talk to get his perspective. Because at the end of the day, ours will just be either either completely skewering the officials or completely bowing down and praising them. But it will always lack the NHL experience of a of your official friend who can come in and, and kind of give perspective to why this or why that. So, um, well, you know, maybe maybe one day when, when he's free and clear of any obligations, he can, he can join us for certain conversations like that. Um, But it's, it's topics like this. I wish he could just to give that objective uh, experienced perspective. I I will ask him. Uh, I'll see him uh, probably Friday. Uh, so I'll ask him about it and, and I'll see if he would be, be willing to give us a, give us a statement, give us an interview, come on the podcast, whatever, just to give us some, you know, just to answer some questions. And, uh, there's no reason, no reason not to, we're, we're on their side, but yeah, there's things that we do that we just, we need to understand. Yep, uh, but anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll ask him. Remind me to do that, too. Yep, yep I will. Um, before we close things out, uh, a couple things. Um, since we're on it anyway, per, per your team, the blue and white up, up yes. north, um, are they missing any pieces to make a run? What do they need? They're missing a piece of defensive depth, yes. They are. And I think they're probably going to pick up a guy – I don't know that it would be somebody as pricey as Jeff Petrie, but um, I think along those lines, somebody with a little size, some experience, uh, probably a right shot. Yeah, and that's that's probably the one piece that uh, that they need to try to figure out how to squeeze in under the cap. But it's going to have to be money out for money in. So yeah. I'm not sure how they how they move that around. But I I'd be shocked if they don't. How about you? Colorado, they, uh, they need consistency first and foremost. So the next eight weeks between now and the deadline will go a long way into determining whether they pick up another goaltender. Uh, can Kemper and Francois stay healthy the next eight weeks and be consistent the next eight weeks? You do that and you probably earn yourself an opportunity to be the guy heading into the playoffs. Yep. Any, any slip in that, you're probably looking at bringing in at least – a stability guy to be to carry three goalies in the playoffs and at least have that um, that safety net. Um, The other thing that they're missing is center depth. They, and from the perspective of center depth, they are horrendous and they have been for a few years on (laughs) face-offs. Yeah. Kadri has done wonderful. Yep. But Kadri can't be the the one and only guy in important faceoff situations. You need you need multiple. And come playoff time, 
on being unable to win a faceoff in a defensive zone draw in a tie game or or up by one with a minute and a half left with in a rowdy crowd in their building and all this stuff and unable to win a faceoff will come back to hurt you if you're not careful especially if you not only went lack the faceoff but you also don't have the goaltending consistency so those those two things it's why I'd love to see them pick up uh, Paul Stasny. Stasny is tremendous in defensive zone faceoffs. He's tremendous in the faceoff circle. Uh, Winnipeg is likely going to be on the outside looking in for the re- rest of the year. They will likely be sellers. Who knows? Likely. We'll see how it plays out. Um, see him come back to Colorado and be that third line center and provide that that stability. Uh, McKinnon with Landeskog and Rantanen, Kadri with Burakovsky and Nichushkin, and Stasny with Newhook and uh, probably either Comfer or, or Kubel. Tremendous, tremendous nine forwards there. And so you need you need that. Uh, they've also call. looked they've also looked center wise, they looked at and they've looked at uh, Thomas Hurdle from San Jose. Both all three of those guys I listed good in the face-off circle can't necessarily go wrong with either no. at that point you're looking at what you have to give up for them uh, you're looking at cap situation different things like that um, but any one of those three guys you can't go wrong in the face-off circle with that's the one thing goaltending is 50 50 on whether you get a new goaltender that's going to be whether Kemper and Francis can prove to be consistent um, they looked to me like they stabilized right before the break last half dozen games before the break they were both sharp they can find if they they look like they found their game if they can keep it and and if not improve on it then as a as a emotional non-objective fan i'm confident in them and even as an objective person i'd say that colorado is a force to be reckoned with but if one of them goes down with an injury or they lack consistency then I'm going, Ooh, great. Colorado can put up eight goals in a game, but if, but I don't trust their goaltender to stop the puck. Now you're looking that's, at issues. So that's all over the, that's all over the league though. Yep. Uh, you, you've got to, you've got to hope that uh, Freddie Anderson in Carolina, Bobrovsky in Miami. I mean, these guys, those are teams that are on top of the world, but you're only as good as your goaltender. And, and in the playoffs, you can't outscore those problems, not very often. Yeah. Now you can, uh, but, yeah, that's, that's what makes it fun. This is going to be an interesting few weeks here leading up to the deadline. Now a question for you. Okay. Question. Are you watching the Olympics at all? No. I, I'm 50-50 on it. From a, from a, a moral, political standpoint, I don't want to. Um, but at the same time, I'm also, you know what, no matter their, no matter their individual politics, these are, and with exception of a few, if you've read any headlines who defended mm-hmm. and, and joined other countries or whatever, um, with exception of those and those situations, these are young men and women who devoted their lives to doing this. There's a level of support that they deserve from their fellow country, countrymen and women. And I would, I would want Bennett, if he were a high-level athlete, to have the support of the people around him, despite the, despite the status of the world or anything like that. It's not their so fault. I look at, I look at watching, watching these skiers and um, 
snowboarders and you know even the the female hockey players and things like that i am looking at it and going you know what i don't agree with china i don't agree with the politics i don't agree with the covid stuff but these are men and women who have devoted their entire lives and this may be one of if not one of a few very rare moments that they get to do this and yeah, so absolutely who am i to not watch and applaud and cheer them on so i'm sure i will uh if the athletes and the the networks and the announcers and everybody would if it was just athletic competition alone it would be a different story i don't like being lectured to yep. uh, and i don't like people using my fandom whether i'm at a concert or a hockey game or watching something on television i don't like people using the fact that I am a fan of what what you, what I'm watching as a chance to lecture me. So 100%. that's why I've avoided it. I will probably tune in uh, soon, but so far we're you know we're nearly a week into it, and I've not watched much at all. But I, I'm sure I will. And you're right; it's not the athletes' fault. What they do is spectacular, and it and it deserves our it deserves our attention for sure and support. In our household. We are split between the American feed and the Canadian feed. Watch. Um, however, we weren't split for long. I will say, um, the missus has not has enjoyed the American feed strictly from the perspective of they're more descriptive. Good. So the American feed, when you're watching, like last night we were watching figure skating. Yep. And they went into detail about how they score it and how, you know, oh. the different moves and all these different things. And then a f few hours earlier, we were watching the Canadian feed. Never touched it. <laughs> you're, you're left to your own devices to figure out how somebody sc got this score and why this or that. And it's, it leaves you kind of wondering. So at least from that perspective, the announcers on the American feed really, really have done a good job of, from the sport perspective of at least explaining it to people who might be watching for the first time as to why this, why and how this has happened. So, and I know, I know Carly has really enjoyed that. So. Well, I wish I had seen that because in all the years, at, whether I was at the rink at work or watching on television and all of the figure skaters that we've known uh, in our family over the years uh, as friends, I, I still don't get it. I really, really don't get it. But seeing that explained, I'm saying I wish I'd watched what you watched because I probably could have learned a lot and not been nearly as frustrated with it going, I, you know. I, well, it now started. They got bigger numbers than those guys. If you watch the figure skating, they've now started in the top left corner having a scoring system there. So each move that a figure skater does, there will be the base, the base score on the difficulty of what the base score is and, and the then, score you get based on how you performed it next to yeah. it. And if it's in green, it means you've exceeded what that base score is. If it's in red, you've done, you, you missed the mark. And I'll have to check that out. See, I just, I learned something on this podcast all the time. Yes. I bring up the Olympics um, because the women's games are already underway. Yeah. Canada and the U S undefeated. Um, Bri Brianna Decker, hurt for the rest of the tournament yeah, i saw i saw um, and that's a shame because she's, she's their, uh, she's their she's top player workhorse so, for that team um 
So they, they've played well. It's very clearly, and if you talk about the growth of the game of hockey, contrary to what the narrative is in the world, the major growth that needs to happen is internationally for women. Uh, because with exception of Finland, sometimes it's not only the U.S. and Canada alone, but the U.S. and Canada are putting touchdowns up. I know. It's and a, it's whereas with the men, two team terms, the men with exception of Germany and Kazakhstan, the men put on five, three games, two to one games, this and that. And the women with the, the women, American and Canadian women put up touchdowns against every opponent unless they're playing each other. And so the international game for women needs work in terms of the growth. Um, they're, they're trying. They're trying. they're trying. And the Olympics is a big effort for them. And, uh, you know, I know that there have been Canadian and, and U.S. women going around the world over the last 10 years trying to mentor coaches and players and things to try to develop those, those countries that, whose, whose teams can't compete because it is good for the game. There's a Canadian woman who used to play um, McLeod. Yeah. Yeah. or whatever um, her name is. Forgive me for missing that. Um, she she coached Japan for a number of years. Um, helped yes. them get to a point where they could qualify and be there. Um, so you're starting to see that, which is good. You want to mentor and you want to help grow the game. If you really Absolutely. want to practice what you preach, then it might mean going to another country and helping helping their systems a little bit. Absolutely right. It with, 100%. It with some men and women going to places like even Kazakhstan and helping their programs, yeah. uh, things like that. So it's big. Um, part of the reason I bring up the Olympics before we leave, before we end it, uh, John Leahy wrote in. Okay. Always good to hear from him. He, he's, he said, do you think you could give us the names of three players from Team USA to keep an eye on for the Olympics? Ooh, see, that's that's harder. Um, I just closed it out. I'd be curious to go back and see, remind myself of the date that he wrote that in, um, because it's harder to do that when all of a sudden now NHL players can't be there, and now there's a little bit more of a selection process and who gets who makes the team rather than TJ Oshie making it for yeah day, right. Um, but. Uh, curious, I'll let you start it on who, who the guys are to watch uh, for that. Uh, you know, you've got you've to watch Matty Beneers. I think he's one of the most, um, one of the most talented uh, as, as, far as, as far as scoring punch is concerned. Kenny Agostino has, had played several years in the NHL. Uh, but Matty Beneers is probably, and Matthew Nies also spelled K-N-I-E-S, uh, is a big horse of a kid and a and an up and coming star. He's gonna he will be in the NHL before long. So uh, keep an eye on uh, Matthew Nees, Matty Beneers. Um, boy, you know we know Nick Shore. He he played for a long time in the NHL. Um, he could be a factor as well. He's Drew not Shore's quite as dynamic maybe as Beneers. Is it Drew Shore's there too, right? Or is it just Nick? I think it's just Nick. Yeah. I, I, Drew Shore is still in uh, is still in Denver. He is. I, Jake, uh, the other guy to watch, I believe, 
uh, on defense is Jake Sanderson. He's a, he's an Ottawa first round pick and he's going to be a star as well. He and Matt Beniers uh, and Matthew Nees are going to be stars in the NHL. Kenny Agostino was a journeyman, kind of a um, third or fourth line guy for several years, but that experience is going to be a big help. If you want to watch good, dynamically talented young players, Sanderson, Beniers, and Nice are going to be the guys to watch. And uh, Brock, thank you Brock for your Faber. question. Yes, Brock Faber's there as well. Yep, Brock Faber's good young defenseman. You've, you've got me curious now. I don't think Drew Shore is in Denver, is he? Drew. He was last time. You know, it's been probably a year ago. Um, in terms of playing, you mean? Or, or What's that? In terms of playing or what? No, no. No, he's just um, he's just living here in Denver. Okay, and um, and he was out he was out skated with us a couple times. Okay, yeah, his career is kind of done, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I know. Last time I really heard, well, he signed a. I remember he signed a pro contract, either with an AHL team or an ECHL team for Carolina, I believe, the most recently. Um, but before that, he was. Um, he was in Europe. Um, he was overseas. Yeah, did he finish up? He, okay, um, so in 2021, so the 2020 and 2021 season, um, he played in Slovakia and in the Hurricanes organization, uh, finishing in, with the Chicago Wolves in the AHL. He was in um, – didn't he go to the KHL for a while? He did. He played – um, well, first he played um, in what looks like I've got his elite prospects page here um, in what looks like Switzerland. That's and, right. And that's the same year he played. He was in the Canucks organization. And then okay. he, went, he went and played for uh, ZCS, ZSC Lions in Switzerland as well in 17, 18, and 18, 19. And then he played uh, for Kunlun Red Star in the KHL and uh, Dynamo Minsk in the KHL. Gotcha. Then his last KHL team was, uh, I've got to love Russian names, but uh, Torpedo. <laughs> Torpedo I... Nizhny Novgorod or whatever. Um, and then um, and then he played in Slovakia. He has, it has it listed here as a lone player. He played in Slovakia um, in Dukla. And then Carolina and the Chicago Wolves, and then that's it. So he's, he's kind of done. Um, I pl- grew up playing with them a little bit. Yeah, never played on their on the same team or or anything like that. Um, but I remember skating at different tryouts and and kind of skating around with them. They're good players. Uh, they just unfortunately they're speaking of Savoy. They just didn't have the the ability to translate their game to pro level in a success. Yeah. The most successful was Nick who found yeah. kind of a niche uh, as a fourth line center for, for a little while with LA, Toronto, Winnipeg and all that. But I think when, uh, when Nick went to LA, he played for Daryl Sutter for a while. And I think Daryl Sutter, Sutter helped him prolong his career because he made a real good solid two way player out of him yeah. uh, as only Daryl Sutter can do, or, you know, some of the better coaches. And, uh, and Nick did stick around for a nice long career. But it's hard to imagine. And I know Drew is 
Drew's just a little bit older than you, so that there's a big difference. But it's hard to imagine being on the ice with him that he did not have the talent to stick in the show. It's it's really humbling when when you see that. And well, you know, it's it's a it, you know, and it's no disrespect to you guys, but uh, fifty and older drop in. You know, you're getting a guy who played pro hockey here. I know. But now, again, I say that you you did teach Kyle Quincy everything he knows. But, <laughs> but it's the same thing. I, I remember skating with you guys at drop-in and Landon Smith was out there. Yeah. And Great. Landon Smith played at Quinnipiac and Sam and everything like that. And he's a skilled player. Oh, yeah. Against Out there against us, but he clearly didn't have the translation for – for the pro game at a, no. at a high level um drew good player made himself a career more than any more than i can say or anything like that um, living. just didn't really translate to the success that i'm sure they wanted or thought they would have maybe uh, yep. but you know hey good for them so yep absolutely um, hey i got some i got some good stories brewing up for you next time okay that works so Hey, and, and, and thanks to our loyal listener, Mr. Leahy, for, uh, for that Olympics question. I hope, we, uh, hope that comes out right. Yes. Uh, we also touched on the testacuzzi. <laughs> I encourage all the guys listening. And, you know, if you're, a, if you're a female listening, a lady, please, if you're looking for that special something for the man who has everything, don't look past the testacuzzi. It's the gift that keeps on the whole year long. Whole year long. Um, so the NHL season kicks back up after the break here. Um, yep. I believe tomorrow they start back up. Some well, teams, as of this recording, yeah. I don't know when you're going to drop this. but uh, I say tomorrow. As of this recording, yeah, absolutely. Um, but Monday, I think teams uh, kick up again. Some don't start till as late as Thursday or Friday. Um but, yep, season kicks up, and then it's the stretch to the trade deadline and the playoffs. Um, well, Never we'll, a dull moment. We'll keep in mind here. Uh, we'll see if you want to join me from long distance, but we'll, we'll keep everybody up to date here. I will be beginning here in the next few weeks uh, getting a little training in to do the Murph Challenge this year. Oh, nice. Good for you. Um, I got the patch for last year's. So I'll Good for order. you. I'll order the 2022 stuff, which comes with a shirt and a patch, and we'll uh, I'll be timing myself this year to. This year, the goal is to, to get it done. I've attempt, attempted it in years past and not been able to finish. Um, the goal this year is to to prepare and get get in, and then even if it takes all day, to get it done, and then from there, in the coming years, get to a point of trimming down that time to to better times but i can't wait to hear the progress be doing it i'll be doing it this year if uh your joints will allow and you want to join then go for it uh, but i will be be doing that it's a um it's quite the quite the workout uh, you're supposed to do it with a 20 pound weight vest too so oh. um, i i i keep a 20 pound weight vest with me everywhere i go yeah, so <laughs> so i got a big advantage uh well listen have a great week good to uh good to catch up again and uh thanks for having me on man absolutely keep in touch with things 2022 there's some uh, good movies coming out so keep keep your eye out for for those and uh yeah big stretch here for the playoffs and 
NCAA, BCHL, WHL, and the NHL. And hopefully, hopefully the NHL follows through with changing their testing policies. And hopefully we can get some restrictions figured out in Canada to allow fans back in the building. Otherwise, otherwise the Canadian economy may take another hit in that regard while watching their seven teams move south of the border to play their games the way to play their games the way the Blue Jays did for a while. Uh, so hopefully that figures out. Forty some games left in the season, eight six to eight weeks to the trade deadline. So, so listen. To, let me ask you hypothetically: if you uh, when the Leafs win the Cup this spring, if the if the restrictions are still in, does that mean the parade's going to be in Buffalo or? What are we? What are we planning on here? Tape off the parade route. Yep. Um, <laughs> hey man. I, well, that's part of the logistics of where where do they play if they move? Yep. True. Um, where where? What building do they go to? What city do they go to? Do they share a building with somebody? Do they? How do they do it? Um, so a lot of logistics. I know the per the article that I read for that, they're hoping that restrictions lift in the coming weeks and they, they don't have to even think about it but stop the madness but it's it's coming Please. it's coming yeah. if they don't figure it out um, yeah. because the subject has been broached so teams have asked and they're only going to continue to ask if they if things don't change so um, yeah. i'd figure things out if you're if you're the people in charge of the individual provinces if you're freaking trudeau i'd figure your shit out because um, before you know it, your teams are moving south. Obviously, not permanently, but they're moving south until you get things sorted. And yeah. if this continues, this continues. You may, and this is going to be that. This is an over. This is a big exaggeration here, but you may, in five years, if this continues, you may start to see owners start to broach the subject of relocation. Just simply why because, you? like, why? Why wouldn't you? If we can't have fans in our building. So, and that's down the road, obviously, but you know how Batman is with relocations and with things. So that's a, not an easy process. So it's much down the road, but throw it out to the listeners that it is an, a possibility down that road if things don't change for the better and permanently. I'm not talking, I'm not talking restrictions lifting because, hey, the variant has calmed down. Oh, new variant restrictions back. I'm talking permanently. I know end this and learn to live with covid that's what we all need to do learn to live with it and put an end to the mandates and things if you don't do that you may see the toronto maple leafs become the (laughs) the hartford whalers become the the indianapolis some so and so like you you never you never know i mean it's might seem crazy to some people listening that i even brought it up but you never know it's not you never heard a lot of that kind of talk how many years can so how long can people sustain these kind of losses? Yeah, exactly. So you never, never know. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. But for right now, the 21, 22 season still going, picking back up this week for the stretch yep. to stretch to the playoffs and we'll see how she goes. So there thanks for go. joining on zoom this week. Appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Uh, Good I know to it's see not, you. not always easy schedule wise, but appreciate it. And we're done these days. We'll get our favorite goaltender back on maybe a, Maybe our favorite uh, Thunderbirds coach again. Get yeah, back on and um, maybe got, one maybe one day here we'll get uh, your officiating friend and whoever whoever else. Start, I will. Goal here in these next hundred episodes is to start having more guests on, so it's not just you and me. Every I would like that. That would be fun. I 
you know what, I, uh, between now and our next recording, look up how many episodes we've had, would you? Could, could. I, hey. I'll, I'll pull it up right now. I got it right here. <laughs> I'll, I'll look it up right now. Where are we? 103. Okay. See, and I said 103 first. I didn't say 104 or 103. I said 103 or 104. So technically, I was leaning in the right direction. So We're episode um, 100 and something. Yeah. Everybody for tuning in again, head to the necessary social media platforms, uh, Facebook and Instagram, Warm the Hockey Podcast, at Warm the Hockey Podcast, and uh, like and follow us there. Engage with us like our like our good friend John Leahy does. We appreciate him writing in and we'd love to hear from the rest of you. Um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, Spotify has a lot of controversy around everything with Joe Rogan, by the way. Um, I stand with Joe Rogan. I'm a fan of Joe Rogan. I stand with him. That's where War Room stands. That's where I stand. Um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, War Room Hockey Podcast, YouTube, subscribe, rate and review, share with everybody you know uh, so we can continue to grow get more opportunities, do whatever, and uh, hit the notification bell for the YouTube videos, and we'll see you next time. So thanks for joining this week, and we'll see everybody throughout the hockey community. Cheers. Cheers.